All right. Well, it's so great to be with you today. We worship in the Lord with you online and in person. I want to get rolling today because we, um, we have a message that is uh, going to make you uncomfortable. But thank you, Jesus, for the uncomfortableness that the Holy Spirit brings in our life because it means that God is trying to change something in us. He is. So we're going to jump into it. Last week we read in the scriptures. It was in Israel, in the capital city of Jerusalem. Remember that vision that he gave to Ezekiel? Went out the doorway and left God's house. Now God told the people the reason that he left. He left because they were not following his ways, living according to his standards, and doing what he's asked them to do. They knew who he was. They knew what he asked. But they didn't do it. Church, there was a consequence to the choices they made in their life about knowing who God is and knowing what he says and then putting into practice or not. So today, we know this. In the United States of America, we know who God is. All you got to do is take out your money. In God, we trust. We make that statement. The God we're talking about is the God of the Bible. So in the United States of America, we do know who God is. We also know who Jesus is. We know what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He rose again. But you know, that knowledge of knowing who God is, what Jesus has done, does not save anyone in the knowledge of it itself. Having the knowledge of it does not save us. The devil knows it. The demons know it. Atheists know it. All the people of the world know there is a God. Church, as we consider this, we need to understand that because we know who God is, because we say who He is, because we know who Jesus is and say what He's done, does not save us or anyone else. We agree with that? It's biblical, so you can always say no. I don't. It's free will. You can say, I don't believe that. It's God's Word. So here's the problem, church, is we've lost the standard of God's word and what God says, and we've ignored what God says, and we've begun to compromise what God says, and we bend the message to fit our life choices. It's exactly what Israel did, which is why the presence of God left. Okay? So, Paul as he was going out on his religious journey to destroy Christians, anyone who named the name of Christ, he was given orders by the church, Judaism, the Old Testament, God's people, authorized him to go out and arrest, put in prison, and to kill anyone who was proclaiming Jesus or believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So as Paul is going, he has this amazing vision where Jesus confronts him on the road right then and there. Jesus appears and speaks to him and challenges him right where he is and what he's doing. And he tells Paul, I'm the one you're after, and I'm the one you're persecuting. You remember that story, Acts 9? So listen, later on, Paul is telling what Jesus told him. In this vision, Jesus reveals to Paul his ministry message and everything that's going to happen. Check it out. This is what it says, Acts 26. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, and Paul is telling everyone what God said to him. I am sending you to the Gentiles. That's all of us, church. Anyone that's not Jewish is a Gentile. 
And so Paul, this Jewish religious man, was selected by Jesus to take the message to Gentiles, non-Jews, which flew right in the face of all of his religious beliefs. But listen to what it says here. This is so important. I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Jesus spells it out for us, church. Straight up. Are you hearing what he said? Look, let's see clearly what Jesus says. Here is the outline of the message, the expectation, and what it means to be God's people. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. First, there is a revelation of truth. Jesus said this, right? Eyes being opened through the message of Jesus Christ. So the truth will be preached to them about who Jesus is. And in that message, eyes are opened to see clearly there is truth in who Jesus is. So that is the revelation of truth. Then Jesus says, there will be a turning. A turning from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. So here it is, church. This turning from is an act of God in us and us responding to God in what is revealed to us. So the first thing was a revelation of truth. The second thing is an application of that truth. We see its truth. And in seeing that it is truth now, we will turn to that truth. Why? Because we were not part of that truth. We were part of the power of Satan. But we need to turn to God to be part of receiving that truth. Jesus goes on and tells him then, in the turning from Satan's power to God's power is the forgiveness of sins. See, a lot of people have had a false sense of security because they said certain words when they were a kid or they had a religious experience when they were young that they're okay. Jesus said that it is in the turning from that the forgiveness of sins actually takes place and we become the people of God. In other words, we receive that truth. Revelation of truth, application of truth, receive that truth as our truth. Now we are God's people. So that's the message Jesus said, Paul, I'm calling you to preach this to all people. Therefore, church, if you have not changed... If you did not change when you came to faith, you are not God's people. Can I get one amen? There you go. I heard it. It's biblical. This is Jesus talking about salvation. This is Jesus saying, this is the message. This is how it works to become God's people. This is how it happens. You've got to see it as God's truth. You've got to respond to God's truth. You've got to turn from what you used to be to what God wants you to be. And in the turning of that, He forgives and you become God's people. That's Jesus' message. We can't argue with that. It's truth. It's God's truth. So here's the thing. I hear a lot of people in the church, a lot of y'all people, 
those of you here and online, that have talked to me. And we're talking about your relationship with Jesus because in a conversation with you, eventually I'm going to say, so how's your walk with Jesus doing? Are you saved? Are you walking with him? Are you living in obedience or whatever? However that conversation will go. And if someone says yes, I say, well, how long have you been saved? How long have you been walking with? Oh, I was saved when I was a kid. Okay, well, that's great. So what's been happening since you were a kid? Well, I didn't live like I was. I've been doing this. I've been there. I've been this. So church, see what Jesus' message says? Jesus was saved in the turning from to purity because we've said a certain prayer when we were a kid. We have an encounter with God in the moment that we think that whatever we've done, he's always been there. See, the problem is, it's not really a problem, but a truth is this. He has always been there. He doesn't leave us. He pursues us. But in our life of not turning from to, we turn from. And so as we've lived our lives and we've walked this way, that's what's happened. What do I need, brother? Come and talk to me. No problem. All right. So we've turned from. Jesus clearly states that in the turning is salvation. We read it to you. In the turning is salvation. So hearing God's message of salvation gives the opportunity to turn from the darkness to the light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. And in this turning is salvation and we become God's children. That's biblical. So that's God's plan of salvation and the calling of people to be his people. All right, church. This relationship with God is the most important thing in your and my life. It's the most important thing in the life of every person on the planet that ever has lived and ever will live. Do you know in Romans 14 that the Word of God tells us, yes, Every one of us will give account to God. For some reason, we think in the church that, you know, once we're saved, I don't have to answer to God. It's like we're going to meet Peter at the gate. He's going to shake our hand, and we're welcomed in, and we just kind of go and enjoy all the fruits of everything that God has planned for us in heaven. But the Word of God tells us the believers are going to be judged too. You do know that, right, church? God's Word. Oh, you did it. God's word says we're going to be judged. We're going to stand before God and give account for our life. So that I think I'm okay is not going to fly. God demands something of us that's called a relationship of turning from the power of sin and Satan to the power of God in our life and my life being changed as a result of who God is. So we're going to walk through this together, church, because it's so important. Because we have lost the reality of answering to God for our lives. This relationship, excuse me, this relationship was purchased for us and we could not pay the price that it required. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? See that? Nothing we did... God did this 
when we met him by hearing the message of truth, seeing that it is truth, receiving that truth, turning from sin to God, then God rewards that by giving the Holy Spirit. All right, stay with it here. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. All right, church. You're not your own. You don't belong to you when you turn to God. You are God's chosen person. He owns us. Now, did you notice what it says in that scripture? Therefore, you must honor God with your body. Interesting. Because you see, somehow we've made this distinction within our Christian life that it's spirit and it's body. Like there's two different things going on. And therefore, I have the Holy Spirit, so I'm holy and I'm good and right with God. But my body doesn't always do the right things. God's Word says, you must honor God with your body. See, the Spirit that used to be in me was the Spirit of David. The Spirit of Dave, myself, is my flesh, which is sin. So when God came, He said, turn from that. Oh, that's bad. Turn to me. Because that was the Spirit of sin, which is Satan, which is that power that used to own me. So I used to be owned by sin, by darkness, and by Satan. And if you're not owned by God, you're owned by Satan, like it or not. So church, this is what he tells me. Because I used to be owned by self, Dave, sin, Satan, and I've turned to God, he says, I've placed my Holy Spirit in you. See, now inside of me is God, not Dave. And he says, now that I am in you, Your body should reflect who's in you. So your body itself should be holy and honor God. Okay. It's obvious we're not our own, church, isn't it? All right, if you're a believer, you are not your own. Okay. So, when we came into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and therefore, we belong to God. What we do with our body matters. God does not just own the inside. He owns the whole thing. So what we do with our body matters. Matters how you live. Matters what you do. So we're going to go back to that scripture in 1 Corinthians 6. And what we're going to do now is read a verse prior to what I already read to you. But we're going to bring it together. You ready? This is what God's word says. Run from sexual sin. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So we're talking about sex here. (laughs) So I'm going to say something here, church. There's a lot more to sex 
than the world has ever seen and most of the church has ever taught. The church has been silent about sex. I was raised in the church. My parents were, my father was the pastor of the church and I don't think, I don't know, but I don't even think that word ever came out of my mother's mouth. So like I didn't get any talking to at all about sex or anything. I got a note to get out of sex education in the public schools, but nobody taught me anything else. So how did I learn about sex? Well, in second grade, I had a friend who his father left pornographic magazines. He was married, his wife, they had him in the living room. So my friend grew up in a very perverted, messed up world of sex. Messed up. And so when I don't know about sex and he's talking about it and then he's telling me things about it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That doesn't happen. (laughs) No, this is what happens. This is what it is. I got pictures to prove it. Second grade. No one's talking about it. And then the church has been silent about sex. And so what has happened is, is that we've left it to the public schools to teach sex Pastors don't talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Like, I'm not comfortable doing this message right now. I'll tell you right now. I've been praying about this and talking to God, and he's been saying, yep, you're going to do this, it's okay. This is truth, and we need to say it. So see, even when I got married, I didn't even like talking to my wife about it. Totally uncomfortable. Are you kidding me? Like, I'd never talked about that word, let alone that subject. (laughs) Uh, Don't talk to me about that. You know, we'll just, things can just happen in the dark where I don't know, like there's no, you know what I mean? Like that total uncomfortableness. See, because when the church has shunned it and not talked about it, it's been left to the world to interpret what it is. And everything the world takes that God made perverts, darkens, taints, and messes it up. And so, What has happened in the world around us is sex has become the object of people's lives because we've been told that sex is love. God's Word doesn't say that. But we've been told sex is love, so we're pursuing sex because we're trying to get love. And God's Word does tell us that God is love. Don't be freaked out when I say this, but you see, like, God is love and there's no sex involved in our relationship with Him. You hear me? I mean, I know that kind of probably puts a little bit of weird stuff in your ears, but we need to understand something here. Love is not sex. Love is a relationship. Love is a relationship. God is love. The world doesn't know God. But the whole world, church, all of us, are pursuing love from the moment we breathe air. You know why? Because we were created in God's likeness and image, and God is love. Therefore, we were made in love, for love, to be love. And then we sinned, and we took love out of us. And with the absence of God, the absence of love, we've been chasing it. The world is chasing love. They're looking for that filling that only God can fill. But the church has been silent and the world has taught a doctrine that sex is love. 
And therefore, even the church is pursuing sex as a means of meeting their need in their flesh. And it's God who only can meet that need. All right. So there's a lot more to sex than the church or anyone else is teaching. This is why we have kids XP and nursery if you're uncomfortable with your kids in church. But you shouldn't be because you need to have this conversation with them early on. I'm 58 years old and second grade it was being talked about by everybody in my class. So don't think it's silent right now. Now they got phones and they're looking at it and talking about it. See, sex is a spiritual thing. And it affects us. God's word says no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. This is God's word, church. Do you understand? So if God's saying something this strong in his word to us, it's probably something we should pay attention to. Let's, let's look at a conversation Jesus has about marriage. In Matthew 19, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? Isn't that an awesome response? Do you know what God says about the subject at all? Church, do you know what God says about the subject at all? So what he tells them, you're the leaders of the church. Haven't you read what God says? Check it out, he goes on. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read what the scripture said? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is Jesus talking. So he tells us very clearly that God has a plan. And God's plan says there should be one man and one woman in covenant marriage, and God makes that union one. God does. Marriage is between God and a man and a woman. Now, I already know everybody's a little bit freaked out. It's gay pride month and all that, and somebody's probably thinking right now that we're preaching against homosexuality and stuff. Listen, so you're very clear about what I'm saying. God's word talks about sexual sin, period. Okay? So let's not start to compartmentalize right now. Let's stay with what God is saying to us right now in his word and hear exactly what he's talking about. Okay? Will you do that? Please. See, in the relationship that God ordained between a man and a woman sexually, there's a oneness that takes place that is spiritual. So God created sex before sin ever entered the world. He told Adam and Eve to go together, be together, multiply and fill the earth. Have you ever thought how fast they sinned and screwed this up? They didn't even have a kid before they already sinned. Seriously, think about that. If they had had a child before they sinned, it would have been a sinless child. It wasn't. They sinned. They sinned that fast. Crazy. But just think about this. God says, come together as one before me. Now there's a oneness. So see, in the sexual relationship that God created between a man and his wife, a, a wife and her husband, there is a 
unity that takes place that God himself is a part of and it works that way because it is spiritual. It's not just physical. Spirit and body. See, the thing is, is like because the church has been so silent about sex, most Christians don't think God sees in their bedroom. He's everywhere at all times, church. Not to make you uncomfortable, but He's God. He made it. He knows. It's in God's Word. It says so. See, there's a oneness that occurs between them that is not possible any other way than in the physical relationship between a man and a woman in sexual intercourse that God is a part of. There is a spiritual unity that happens. This is biblical fact. So you need to hear what God says about it. See, that's why in the Word of God it says that that sexual sin affects the body more than any other sin. Because it's spirit and body together. That's why. So we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 6, but we're going to jump up even further in the context of those Scriptures and listen to this. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Think about it. We're the body of Christ. He's not just saying like, hey, we're the church, we're the body. He's saying like, your body is Christ. Look at it. It's the Word of God. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! That's the Word of God. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the Scriptures say, the two are united into one. So church, you see, in the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, God says there is a unity that takes place that is spiritual and real. Right? So when we see this and we read what the Scripture says, let's finish that sentence right there. For the Scriptures say, the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. (laughs) So how can God join Himself to and in sexual sin? Can that happen, church? No. God's word says, no. No. God himself cannot, will not engage his body in sexual sin. Hmm. Interesting. So if we're Christians and we are engaging in sexual sin, which is anything outside of God's boundaries of one man and woman, one woman in marriage, did you hear that, church? if we're engaging in any kind of sin outside of one man and woman in holy covenant marriage with God, then we are not living in the boundaries of God. Therefore, when we indulge in any kind of sexual activity outside of that, it is not what God is asking us to do, nor will he be part of it, nor will his spirit be with our spirit in joining in that. See, the church has been so silent on this because the church has been engaging in in sexual promiscuity of many kinds 
and then we're uncomfortable and we don't want to talk about it because, you know, it's like we don't, we don't want to judge others. It's like, well, you choose how you want. See, what happens is we believe that everyone's truth is their own truth. That's because we've removed God from the equation and God is truth. And so what God says is truth. No matter what your truth or my truth is, his truth is truth. Everything else is a lie. So when God says this is the way it is, it's the way it is. So if you don't like it, you can talk to him about it. You know what else? You can do whatever you want. You can. But you will answer to him. All of us will. So can God remain in a place where sex outside of his boundaries are happening? God's word says no. But church, listen. People that are in the church, in the Christian community, who proclaim to be Christians, have been engaging in those other things, and they've justified it in whatever context they need to to justify because they want what they want. It's true. Okay? So... Can the Holy Spirit bless something outside of God's boundaries? I mean, a lot of people say, well, God knows. We're married in God's sight. Are you? Are you married? Have you been married in God's sight? I'm not talking about a white dress tuxedo in a church wedding. I'm saying, have you been united in marriage before God in covenant? Because, see, it's like, this is how we do it. Like, well, we're married in God's eyes. We're going to do what we want, but we're not going to make that covenant with him because if I want out, I'm out. Come on. <laughs> so we already know God can't engage in sin because he's holy, right? We do know that, right? Okay, so if God cannot engage in sin and he says the body of the believer is his body, Sorry, but that's, that's God's line. Kind of says it all right there. So let's like look at reality here. Very few, very, 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 very few enter into a marriage covenant as virgins. Is that not true? It's true. We already know this. Look, church, the truth is, is there's been a lot of research and studies done about this because sexuality is one of the gods of people. And so there's been all kinds of research done about this. And do you know that um, the average age of losing virginity for a male and a female is right around 17? And that's been about the same for several decades. It's not like things have got worse there. We have held about the exact same age of losing virginity for multiple decades, according to all the research. So just stay with me and think about this. So what's happened in this sexual revolution is what we called it in the 60s, which I was not like cognizant in the 60s. I was born there. But like this whole hippie movement of free love and, you know, the burning of the bras and everybody expressing themselves in one night stands and et cetera, et cetera, that became public. That's when it became public. It's not like it started then. I mean, I'm not stupid and neither are you, I hope. See, like I said, the Bible in Genesis talks about this because it was happening back then. 
But what did happen was a nation that used to talk about God stepped across his line and began to see their own lines as what mattered. And therefore, I will engage in whatever I need to to make myself feel good about myself and to get what I'm after. So he threw God's God's boundaries away. And we began to make our own boundaries for love. So... What took place was a bunch of people began to have sex with a bunch of other people. And God's word just told us, don't you know that when you have sex with someone, you become one with them? So a part of me was part of that person and that person and that person and that person and that person. And I can't figure out why I feel so bad about myself. Because I'm broken, I'm disintegrated. I'm there, I'm there, I'm all over the place. And I don't feel love because I am not love because I don't possess love. And I'm trying to fill that love gap with another physical encounter with someone else. Because what happens is, I desire the emotional feeling of that moment. Because it's the only place I feel something. And so we began to pursue that. Now this culture we live in today, all of you that are Generation X and Boomers, just so you know, I'm 58. I'm on the edge of the Xers and Boomers are above me. So if you're older than me, you're part of this group. This group of people who talks bad about the millennials all the time. You know who you are. Listen, statistically, the average Xer and Boomer had 10 sexual partners before they got married. That's the average male and female, by the way. All right, so just hear me through. Remember what the average age of losing your virginity is? 17. The average Xer and Boomer were married in their early 20s. So put that math together, would you? If at 17 I'm experiencing sex for the first time, and by the time I'm 24 I've had 10 partners, now I'm entering into a covenant marriage with someone. And I wonder why this marriage is so jacked up from the start. Because you see, I'm, I'm dispersed everywhere to everyone else. And I have had such a wrong view of sexuality that I come into a marriage with a partner that I see as someone that I'm going to live with, but they're going to meet my needs. Because sex has become about my needs, not about anything else. And so we have an unhealthy view of a sexual relationships. We're starting off a marriage broken. We have not even repented or thought about asking forgiveness for the messed up junk we've been a part of. And she and I are the same way. We come into this with all this confusion. We don't get our needs met. We're all messed up. It becomes a a source of constant fighting and bickering. And pretty soon we're no longer married. Right? Church, this is what happened. It's happened in the church the same way. And it's because we have not looked at what God says. This is how it works. That's how it doesn't work. Do it my way. So the world has told us that sex equals love. You know that. You know that. Sex equals love. Sex does not equal love. God is love. So the fact of the matter is acts of sex can happen with no love involved whatsoever, correct? We know this. 
This isn't, this isn't like revelation stuff. Just think about it. We know that sex can happen with no love involved. Therefore, what that is, is lust. But listen, the world has told us that sex is love. Therefore, if I want love, I want to, be pers- to pursue love, I'm going to get love. Therefore, I can justify any sexual activity I want to. I can, church, and we do. We justify any kind of sexual activity to meet my need because we believe that sex equals love. But the fact of the matter is, lust is what drives anyone outside of God's boundaries. It's the mirage of love. (laughs) So it drives these sexual desires when God is not involved, and therefore... God is not in it. And it is nothing more than lust. So lust is the desire to satisfy self with seeing whatever object can satisfy me as an object that is there to satisfy me. So therefore, this is how fornication happens. So fornication, biblically, just so you understand the word itself, is any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. So it's sex before marriage, and anything outside of the marriage covenant, that's a word that is used called fornication. The next thing that we would see is obviously adultery. So adultery is that sin that happens when people are in covenant marriage and one of these individuals has sex outside of that covenant. That's adultery. Incest. Incest happens because a person is a perverted, messed up person that sees individuals or things as a way to meet their need. Therefore, there is no love involved because God is not in that. And therefore, they justify it because, see, it makes me feel good when I do this. And therefore, I can justify it because that is love to me. See what I mean? Like, so when, when my truth is, is the only truth that matters, I can justify anything. Molestations happen. Rape happens. Homosexuality happens. Pedophilia happens. Bestiality happens. So with every one of those words I just said, fornication, adultery, incest, molestation, homosexuality, pedophilia, bestiality, etc. When I say those words, something inside of us at some of those words goes, "Mm." (laughs) but see, some of them don't even affect us. We just kind of like just hear it and kind of like go by it. But see, when we look at what God's word says, this clarity is why we need to understand what God says because there's so much confusion in the world today and that confusion in the world exists in the church because the church has been silent. After the first service, I had several people come and talk to me, obviously, when you talk about sex, people pay attention. Usually nobody falls asleep when you talk about sex. <laughs> but <laughs> I had a couple of people come up and talk to me, and a couple of them was their very first Sunday here, which I talked to the Lord about before this happened. But um, there was their very first uh, service, and the, one of the guys came up to me and said, you know what, um, I've been part of church for the last 20 years, and I have not heard anyone preach about this subject in 20 years. I'm not talking about the world, church. 
talking about us. And I was like, God, forgive us. You know, we're like looking around saying, why are you all so messed up? Why are you all so messed up? And it's like, church, if we don't know what God says and we're not living it, then how can we think the world would ever know what's right? When the stuff that's happening in the world is happening in the church, where's the divider? Where's truth? Right? Lord Jesus, help us, man. See, what's happened is the world and the individual people within the world view sex and what it is to them as what matters. Sex and what it means to me is what matters. And you should just accept what I think. And if you don't accept what I think, you should just let me be myself anyway. Okay, so that's the world's view of all this. So church, you know, as we've justified our own sexual sins, um, we kind of like have closed the door on the sexual topic altogether and justified things within ourselves. And I want you to know that everyone in the world justifies what they do, no matter how wrong you see it as. I hope that sinks into us. You know, the child molester has justified what he does in his head, or she, male and female alike. They don't just do it, they've justified it. Somehow inside of them, it's okay to them to do that. It's true. So, church, why would we not, we, the church, go to the one who created sex in the beginning for our sex education and go from there? I mean, like, you know, instead of letting the public schools do it, not talking about it, not making it a subject of our conversations, why wouldn't we look to God and talk to Him about what this is? See, in the New Testament, the word that is often translated as sexual immorality, I don't know if you've read the New Testament, but if you read those, those scriptures from Romans through Revelation and the writings to the church, you're going to see this word, this combination of words, sexual immorality, coming up a lot. And the instructions in the scriptures are stay away from sexual immorality. Remember the verses I read in 1 Corinthians 6? Run from sexual sin. Okay, so don't want to get lost. Listen to what this is. It's really important for us. In the New Testament, the word most often translated as sexual immorality is pornea. That's the word. That's the Greek word, pornea. This word is also translated as whoredom, fornication, and idolatry. Idolatry, you know, is the worship of any other God but God. Pornea. Perversion. Fornication. Whoredom. So, pornea. Think about it now. The meaning of that word as you look at it is a surrendering of sexual purity. It is primarily used in Scripture of premarital and sexual encounters outside of the relationship and the boundaries of God in marriage. So obviously from this Greek word, we get the English word pornography, right? I mean, that was pretty much a no-brainer. Pornia, pornography, translating over into English. 
So that comes from the concept of selling off. Sexual immorality, the selling off of sexual purity, and it involves any type of sexual expression outside of the boundaries of the biblical things that God has ordained for us. Pagan idol worship, often involved sex. Often. There were temple prostitutes. There are. It's not just Old Testament. This stuff happens in the world today. Okay, there's temple prostitutes, male and female alike, that are part of this pagan worship and involve perverse sexual behavior. See, false gods always appeal to the flesh to make them desirable to people. You want to know the truth and what is truth and what's not truth? If something is appealing to your physical flesh as a way to meet my needs... Pretty much count on it's false. (laughs) Hear me, church. And hear me well when I say this because this is an important thing for us to get in our heads. The Bible makes no distinction between loving and unloving sexual relationships. That's kind of interesting. It does not make a distinction between loving and unloving sexual relations. Do you know what it does make a distinction about? The only biblical distinction is between married and unmarried. It's the only one. See, it's not about my feelings. (laughs) It's not about my emotions. It's not about how they treat me or how they don't treat me. It's either doing it God's way or not. See, the Bible's clear. Sex within the marriage of one man and one woman is blessed. All other sex is condemned. Deal with it. Hebrews 13. Verse 4. Listen to this verse. It's great stuff. Like two little sentences. You ready? Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Huh. Pornania. God will surely judge people who are pornania, perverting the purity of God. (laughs) It's pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty simple. I'm going to read another section of Scripture. It's a little bit longer than I normally read in a service, but this is my last Scriptures that I will read to you today. And um, it's found in Romans chapter 1. It's amazing truth. Church, highlight it, listen to it. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature. Isn't that cool? God's Word's telling us, like, church, there's never been a people on the planet that doesn't know God is. Because all you got to do is look around you, and it's like, wow, there is a God. Look at this stuff. It's amazing. How everything in creation flows. There is a God. And God's word tells us, man, it's clearly seen. If you don't see it, 
It's because you're closing your eyes because God has revealed it. And this is what he says. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with a woman, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Listen to this, church. Listen to where sin takes us. Listen to where sexual impurity, separation from what God says takes us. Listen to what it says right here. Listen, it's crazy. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. I find it interesting that gossip is put in that list in this context of where we are. I'm not really positive, but I almost think that probably gossip is one of the worst sins in the church today. I don't mean just CFF. I'm talking about the church. But listen, God's Word puts it in the context of where we are right here. Here I slid all this stuff in here talking to us. Listen to what it goes on to say. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Wow, church, is that amazing? I mean, you just read that and it's like this is where we are in our country today. That whole section right there. We've ignored God, denied Him, began to live for other gods, self, and what I want. We've completely left God's plan of marriage and covenant and sexuality. Just turned away. And God's like, just like when He left the temple, He's like, let's see what happens as you become God. Church, what happens is the utter perversion of everything in life. Everything in life. And the church hasn't lived it. They haven't experienced it. We haven't taught it. 
And so the world is living in this perversion and the church is over here itself living in its own quiet perversions, looking at the world's perversions as worse than their own. God's word is very clear about what he asks for us and that's purity in our relationships. He's an amazing God. He is. He's a forgiving God. Wherever you find yourself today, I want you to know you're not outside of God's forgiveness. It's not like you've crossed the line and you can never come back. That brokenness, that perversion, that messed up stuff, God will forgive all of it. See, when God forgives, we can become a complete virgin in His sight. That's the way God views us and forgives us. Isn't it amazing? Like it's just God just removes everything from us. He says we're made new. Now we go forward and do it God's way. I mean, he's amazing. Church, what is that you need to do in response to God's word this morning? What is it that God is speaking to you about in your own life? You can't justify your actions because everybody does. I know that as you've heard this message, there's been a war going on inside of us. It is. I know that. Okay, this isn't Dave's opinion. Dave wasn't comfortable preaching this message. God's like, this is my truth and you need to proclaim it to my people because they're going to answer to me. What do we need to do, church? What is it God's saying to you right now? You, not the person next to you, not those people over in the other aisle. What is God saying to you personally about this subject and Him? Would you stand with me? Altar's open if you want to come and pray. As we do, I'm going to encourage you to this week. Would you make your sexual life and your sexual purity a subject of your daily prayer? I mean, I would be scared to do a survey of Christians and how, how many of them have actually consistently prayed about their sex life. Seriously. Why, when the Word of God says uh, no other sin affects you more than this one? then why wouldn't this be a part of our daily prayer life? <laughs> right? I mean, to me, it's like a no-brainer. It's like, I, I should be praying about this. And if you're married, the two of you should be praying about it. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you've created as holy and good and beautiful. Lord, help us to live in it and to step into it right where you called us to be, God. Not where the world says, not where I think, not where I justify. What you say, right where you say it. God, for your glory, God. church I want you to know God wants you to know he loves you and he sees you as worthy of his love okay see when when we've been broken by the world and we've had this these encounters with people and part of us has been taken and part of it has been taken from us by people that have molested us and hurt us This brokenness inside of us feels like I'm not worthy to be loved. I can't love. I have. Look, God loves you. 
The devil's a liar. He's messed with you. He's messed with your thinking. And God wants you to know He is truth. God is truth. And He wants you to turn to Him. Let Him heal you. Let Him heal you today. Begin to do in what God has for us in our life. I know God's speaking to you. I know He is. Church, please hear it. God is speaking in the words that I'm sharing with you right now. God is speaking. He wants to heal, restore, and make right His plan in your life for your life. Help us, Jesus. Lord, strengthen your church. Let us proclaim your truth in love. Let us live that truth in love. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hey, if you need to pray, come and pray. You're dismissed. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.